You're listening to ASD Warrior, a podcast about the journey of getting your PhD in your child on the spectrum. With over a decade of success and challenges, it's time to share and support all of you ASD Warriors. Hosted by your always passionate and wildly intense ASD Warrior teacher, child advocate, and mom, Kathy Galbraith Willoughby. Today on ASD Warrior, we're going to be talking about IEP strategies. Yes, individual education plans. And I brought somebody in that's going to add so much to this conversation. Former principal at my son's school, Heidi Little, who has over 20 years experience in education and has sat in on so many IEPs and has the most brilliant mind, strategic heart, and thoughtfulness through this whole process. So today we're going to talk about strategies. We're going to talk about what you should be doing before the IEP meeting, what you should be asking for in the IEP meeting, and really what should you expect throughout the year. You don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Okay, Heidi, let's get started and let's um, maybe start with how did you get into academic and education? How did that world start for you? Um, Well, I'd say education picked me. I did not pick education. I actually went to college as a pre-med student. Um, So it was medicine and law school were my two options. Um, But I was fortunate enough to have my two um, older children um, during my college years. And because of that, they needed to start preschool. And I enrolled them into a preschool and then um, did what I think every parent does when you have to walk away and your kids are crying at the gate and screaming for you. I said, hey, I could just start working here part-time and finishing my college um, degrees. And that's how it started. And then slowly but surely, I finished everything. And then they were saying, hey, you, you're, you've got this down. How about if you teach another grade and another grade? And I started my career in private school. So it's got a different credentialing background. And then immediately just fell in love, fell in love with kids, fell in love with the fact that you see all these little light bulbs come on and kids are amazing human beings and they teach you a lot. So I finished through, got my credentials and then started at um, public school for a number of years. So I've been in education for 25 years. I've been fortunate enough to teach pretty much every grade in elementary except fourth grade. Um, Been an instructional coach, a VP, a principal. So I've, I've had a, a full life with kids. Um, so obviously today we're here to kind of talk about IEPs, individual education plans, and, and some of the things that, you know, parents, I think a lot of times don't know, you know how to walk into that room, what to ask for, what expectations there are. And, and for the first time, you know, first time parents, a lot of it is like, it's so scary, right? And it's, sometimes it's the first time you're hearing, you know, wow, you know, maybe the gap that's really there you know, and, and what we can do to strategize around that. Um, and so can you just tell me, like, what is an IEP from an academic perspective and who has one and, and what is the school's responsibility in that? An IEP um, is an individualized education plan. Students with disabilities have an IEP um, or they can have a 504, but we'll focus on IEPs right now. As far as the school, it is a legal document. It's a legal binding document. And when you enter into that IEP, we all are agreeing that what is documented within that um, piece of paper is what we are going to implement at the school and at home, what services you're going to get. Um, It's your child's educational plan in addition to what's provided in gen ed. So it's very specialized. 
It's when you can have a team of education specialists who do academics, or you can have school psychologists if that's a need. You can have OT, you can have PT. Um, some of those services don't stand alone, meaning you must qualify with another disability to have those. But that's where you can get access to a tremendous amount of services that will impact your child's educational program. Yeah, and I, I wanted to add to that too, that you know, one thing I've noticed every year with having an IEP is that it, they kind of go through the formality too, is it does it still apply? You know, so part of what's so important about, you know, we as parents coming into that meeting is that we are very, very involved in the growth, the accomplishments, the expectations along the way, so that when things come in question, do they still need this? Is this something that is critical for their success? Is that we have a contribution because that is, like you said, a legal document that, you know, is kind of the game plan for going forward. Yep. It's the pathway. It's kind of that yellow brick road that we're all agreeing on. And what's great about an IEP is nothing is cemented. It is a legal binding document, which makes it a formality, but you can call an IEP at any time. The school can call an IEP at any time, and that can be updated. So if it's working, fabulous. If it's not working, call that IEP. The team takes no, um, it's not like an insult for a family to say, hey, we need an IEP. We need to revisit something. And the same when a school calls it. It's truly because we are collaborating and we want to make the best impact, all of us together in that kiddo's life. I love that you said that because I don't think a lot of parents and ones that I have talked to really understood that as a, as a parent, you can say, mm, it's, it's not happening. Uh, can we revisit some things? Can we add some more supports? Maybe take some more away? Can we in some ways, maybe look at the day in the life of your child, because like you and I've said, it is customized, right? And so sometimes it's hard for us to get a grasp because we're not walking around with them all day when they get pulled out, when they get pushed in, how much is just in, in class participation, how much is, you know, maybe sometimes they're missing art because they have to make up for something in, in the gap that they have. And so I think a lot of parents need to know that. And it isn't a burden, even though every time I asked for one, I thought, oh, you know, it's so hard because we have to get everybody's schedule together, you know, and you feel bad, but at the same time, you don't want to lose time. And I think that a lot yeah. of us parents with kids on the spectrum feel like we're chasing time sometimes to just try to keep ahead, fill the gap or catch up. And, and so that's really, really important to know. One of the questions I, I thought that probably a lot of parents have that are listening to this is that, can you give us an idea of what is done on the back end from the academic team before we even have the IEP? So depending on what type, so you've got your, you know, your initial IEPs when a kiddo is first going to receive their IEP and you've got your tries every three years, they get reassessed on everything so that we can basically start a new IEP, if you will. It's not completely new, but it's new data. So right. behind the scenes, those, depending on what services you have, so let's use education specialists, they are gathering data as they're working with your child throughout the entire year. So when your kid has an IEP, and you come to an IEP meeting, you will have updates on status and progress reports, um, how their students doing, are they, are they progressing towards those goals that have been identified or not? So behind the scene, every single person that's working with your child is doing one, what's agreed upon the IEP, but also they're gathering data. Um, some of that is observational. Some of that is um, where they're just watching and collecting data that way. Much of it is when they're working with their child, your child. We are tracking to see, is this what's right? And then when we come to that IEP meeting, it shouldn't be kind of shooting darts in the dark. We should be communicating on what we're seeing at school, 
what you're seeing at home. If your child um, is at an age that's appropriate, I always love when kids attend IEPs, um, if that's what the family and the team believes is what's best for that kiddo, because the insight that kid can bring on what's working and what's not right. working um, is tremendous to the team. But you should have data at those meetings. You, you should be speaking concretely about what's happening versus theoretically. And, and that's, have that's samples of work. No, I, I think that that's very important. And you talk about samples of work and then it kind of makes me think about communication because, you know, communication strategy is is so key with parents and educators um, because when you talk about that data collection, you know, there should be kind of a partnership on data collection because obviously we want to move the needle. We want to assess. We want to better strategize from a customization perspective when there still are gaps. But, you know, sometimes what they do at home, and you and I've talked about this, about you know, just sensory processing disorder that a lot of the kids on the spectrum have, is that sometimes they can accomplish different things at home because they don't have recess and people talking and the teacher's trying to get their attention and, oh my gosh, the overhead on, and then people are slamming the doors and people are getting their pencils out. And it just, it becomes crazy. And so I think it's really critical, you know, you have a good communication plan and that you also know those goals and that you're kind of starting to see and, and play with a little bit at home. H have you had an example of like maybe a good strategy on communication, maybe what's worked in the past for some parents? Um. Well, this is, this is a good question. I, I am a true, true believer in just being honest and open. I think when we start any relationship with a family, that there's got to be trust there. And there's got to be the belief and the understanding that we both want what's best for your child. And starting in that place and having, even if you need to, that conversation, like, hey, I'm, I'm here for my kiddo, but I'm here for you too. Because it shouldn't be this battle, the teachers against the ed specialists, ed specialists against the parents, we are all one team. And everyone that goes into education, trust me on this families, we love kids. We love what we do. We want to make that impact. We love your kid probably as much as you do. So when you start that relationship, I believe in just having that conversation. What are we here to achieve? How, how do we communicate? How do you communicate? Do you like it in email? Do you like it face-to-face? -face? Do you like a phone call? Because once we have that and we know how to best communicate with one another, then we can be open and honest. We can ask questions without people putting barriers up. We can receive information without putting our own barriers up. Um, I have sat in a, many IEPs with some very difficult, hard, wrenching discussions where I've cried, families have cried, the team has cried, we've laughed. But it was built on this trust and this common understanding that we may irritate each other once in a while. We may say things that kind of make your skin crawl on each side because you're like, wait, I didn't think that or I didn't see that or you're not hearing me. You're not listening. Yeah. But in the end, we build that trust. Yeah. And then we, we can communicate. And that's what I would share with families. If communication is not working and you're not being heard or the team's not being heard on the other end, call an IP start over, dig it all up and figure out what it is that's not letting that communication start because then that's going to hurt my kiddo. That's going to hurt your kiddo. Um, and no kid's going to make progress unless the team is on the same page. I agree. You know, I think it's funny because I, I sitting here and talking to you, it's just so fun because you played <laughs> such a, a pivotal, critical, amazing role um, in Nathan's time so far in academia. And one of the things that I love, love, love uh, the most was, um, 
and you started this, we, we were having struggles with Nathan on the playground because it was just, it was like a social nightmare for him, you know, and he was getting targeted, not because kids are cruel, because it was at a younger age, but because kids are like, hey, he reacts, this is fun, like, let's go do something to him and have him react. And so we really had to have like, you know, the A-team out on the recess and you, um, you connected with one of the yard duty and uh, I, I probably got some of the most amazing emails from her and she just took him under her wing and I loved getting them. And it was, again, it wasn't like a back and forth and it didn't take a lot of her time or my time, but it was like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for telling me that because it helped on my end, you know, and, and I think that, you know, communication plans, getting that strategy and the trust, because I know, and I told, um, Alicia Johnson this too. <laughs> when I knew you and Alicia were in the room, I was like, okay, I'm good. Like I can just whoosh the right down. Kathy was not in Joan of Arc. I've got my sword ready and drawn. But it was like, okay, let's let's figure this out. Let's let's come to a good place and let's get the best strategy in place. And so I do think that it's it's something that probably even at that IEP that for the next year they talk about, you know, maybe who's gonna be the teachers if they do know that and kind of a communication strategy. I think it's critical that they have kind of a meeting before school starts because there's no way, even though I'm sure teachers would like to say, of course, I read all the IEPs before school started. I mean, the reality is, I mean, who has time for that, right? They kind of read them as they go. And I think sometimes maybe they do before and that's great. But sometimes until they get to know that child, they don't really see it and what it means and what it says and how it moves. Um, and I think that could be a part of the communication and kind of starting that trust from the beginning because we all change teachers, right? And, and it kind of starts over every year. Yeah, so you're talking transitional IEPs. You can have those at, at any grade level. Typically, when if I said transitional IEPs, most educators would think it's from, you know, elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, those real big pivotal years. But again, in individualized education plan, it is what that definition is. And that means every kid doesn't, have exactly what the other kids have. So if your child needs a transitional meeting so that that kiddo can meet the teacher before school starts, or the family will know some things about the teacher or the classroom or the dynamics um, of that room ahead of time, that's all possible. Not every kid will need that. And I think that's what we all need to articulate and come in knowing that just because Tommy's mom has all these things for Tommy doesn't mean, example, Nathan will need it. And just because Nathan has these things doesn't mean Sam's going to need it. So transitional meetings are something that schools do all the time. They look and sound different for every kiddo. Some of them happen in the beginning of the school year. Some of them happen at the end of the school year. Sometimes you meet the teacher one-on-one -on -one, um, instead of a big meet the teacher before the first day of school because that's too much for some kiddos. So really kind of thinking through what, what's going to make the biggest impact and what's best for this kid. And right. that's what you do. You can't have everything. No one can. So we do the best that we can, both at home and at school. So I think just that, and you talked about recess and, you know, that, that's a thing not every kid gets. It, but being at recess and those unstructured times, lunch, recess, pee is always a fun one too. You got <laughs> equipment flying around. You got kids running everywhere. Love my PE teachers. But sometimes just an extra little friend or just an extra little confidant is it's a miracle. We didn't keep it for a long time, but it worked. And that's because we talked through what do we need? What are we seeing? What are we hearing? What behaviors are being exhibited? And you get the team together and then magic happens. I think that that's really so critical, too, when we talk about, you know, the whole 
podcast is about getting a PhD in your child. And one of the things I think we fall prey to when we kind of get the diagnosis and wherever stage of development our kids are on is that we get to like, okay, what do you do? And it becomes like box checking. Well, I need to have that. And I need to have that. And, and again, you panic. And just like we do sometimes with therapies, I want all of it. And I want him yep. to be ABA for 40 hours a week. And you're like, whoa, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, too much, too much, back off. Um, so that is the hard part, but it is the dance. And you're talking about the trust yep. and it's a communication. And I think that when you talk about IEP strategies and sitting down and looking at a year and what's important and, and the supports that you have in place, one of the things that Joel Bosserman talked about when we have, did our podcast on distance um, learning plan was make sure they still need them too. You know, again, it's like we don't want to just always just front load. And this is what we've always done. But, you know, does Nathan really need an aid in class? Well, he doesn't at home, but maybe he does in class. I don't know. And does your child still, you know, need to be pulled out for two hours and he misses art and music and whatever because he's trying to gap fill for other things? You know, those kind of things shouldn't be rigid. They should be kind of a fluid, like you're saying, conversation. They change you know, maturity comes into a lot of play with our kids and it starts to kind of allow them to cope more effectively. And so really having that communication and kind of being a part of those goals. And so it kind of ties me to the next, you know, question I had was, you know, how do you come up with goals? You know, is there kind of a list associated with certain standards of academic achievement, behavior expectations? You know, how does a team sometimes initially arrive at what needs to be done? That's a brilliant question. And it does everything you just said. So there are standards. All students are um, held accountable for the state standards. So because your kiddo has an IEP, that doesn't mean that they don't have access to their to the grade level standards. So when we're developing goals, we're looking at where would this kid be? So where's this fifth grader going to be? What are the standards saying? Oh, they're saying they need to be able to multiply, divide, X, Y, Z. Where do I need to start? Because remember, we're not shooting in the dark here. We have assessments, we have observational data, we've got parent input, we've got teacher input, which is pivotal in an IEP because they're the ones that are spending the academic time with the kiddo. And then we say, here's the standard. Where, what, what, what do I need to backfill? What steps do I need to fill in? What supports do I need to fill in in order to have this child have access to it? Some kids, it takes a little bit longer to get to that standard. But the standard is always the ending goal. As far as behavioral, it depends what behaviors are being exhibited. The school psych, phenomenal person to have on your team if your child needs that, will then look at the behaviors and what supports are in place and what um, growth has been made in the past or what things are we seeing now in order to mark those goals. We don't want to ever underachieve a kid. You never want things to be so easy that you're not pushing because all kids can learn and all kids can will into exceptional things if you keep the ceiling high or no ceiling at all, as I would say. You keep raising the bar. They get close to it, guess what? You raise it again. So as far as standards, yes, that's how you start goals, but then you're looking at what skill set do they have right now that's going to allow them to move. And then it's that team and their expertise on how are we going to get them there, including parent, including teacher, every specialist you need in there that's going to help your kiddo. Um, speech pathologist, I'm sure Alicia shared, all the amazing ways they know where to start and where to end. Oh, but yeah. It is data-driven. And if you don't believe that to be true for your kid, ask those questions. Um, I would love families to come in and say, how did we start here? How do we know that's the right way? 
Um, where did this information come from? If it's not a initial IEP, because you have all that assessment data, but your annuals will have your progress reports and all of your information in there, you should be seeing how your kid's doing. Right. Well, then you just kind of segue right into my <laughs> big question for you. <laughs> um, so get ready. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, what would you do if your child had an IEP every year as a parent? What would you do? I, let's see. So I'm trying to think all the way through. My child had an IEP every single year. I would be sure to know what's happening. I would be sure to read my child's IEP. Um, and I don't mean that as an insult to anyone, but to really read through the IEP. And if I didn't understand anything, I'm very blessed that I've been in education for 25 years. It probably would come a lot easier for me. But if I'm a doctor or if I'm some kind of engineer or different, different trade, and that's not my expertise, I would ask questions. I would highlight that IEP left and right. And I would come with questions so that I understood what it is that we're all agreeing to for my kid. I would advocate for my child. Advocation does not mean being mean or being like wanting to fight people. You know, advocating is doing your job as a parent. That's, that's, that's your kid. Come in and speak for them until they can speak for themselves. Um, you know your child better than anyone in that room and hold on to that. So if my kid had an IEP, I would hold to it that I know my baby better than anyone in that room. And I am part of that team. So I'd read my IEP. I would advocate for my child. I would seek help. If things are working, let the team know. If things weren't working, I'd call an IEP and just know that, yeah, sometimes true. When there's a big IEP, I've been in teams, you know, 20 people in a room. It's hard to schedule those, but everybody's there for the same purpose. I would just engage with the people who are working with my child, you know, and, and follow up. You get a progress report. We did trimesters for a long time at the school I was at. So I would, you know, check them. And if I didn't understand something or if I didn't agree with something or if I thought I saw something different at home versus what my child was exhibiting at school, I would share that. And then just know that, hey, we're all in this together. And if everybody's on the same team, my kid's going to make progress. The teachers and the team that's helping my kid are going to make progress. And we're going to excel. We're going to move along. If it's not working, I would make sure to let that be known. You know, it's, um, I, I think what you have to say is so critical. And I think from a parent's perspective, I know that I probably have a good group of people that I would need to apologize to as I have been one of those parents that entered into the room and was defensive. Um, but I also know that it was from a place of fear, you know, just being yeah. so scared of maybe what's not working, what's happening, what am I seeing? What is the reality of an accommodation? Um, and sometimes what is the reality of the gap? Um, yeah. And I think, that, you know, sometimes you read those IEPs and, and you're right, you need to come and highlight, but I'll tell you what, to be in the right frame of mind to read it sometimes is an emotional place. So I guess what I wanted to, to add to this podcast is you are absolutely right and spot on in, I think, the attitude and the approach that somebody needs to come in, what they should be responsible to do. But I will also say as a parent, and I know you'll understand this, is give yourself grace. You know, yes. let yourself 
let yourself be in a place that you you hear it, maybe don't feel it so much. See it, don't get too feel about it. Um, and yes, there's gonna always be subjectivity when you're talking about your child, but try to be as objective from a game plan perspective and putting structure and organization and discipline into this IEP so that you get the most gains. Um, and I think, but again, we're all human um, and it does happen, but I'm sure after this, I'm gonna have to write down a bunch of names just to make myself sleep better tonight. <laughs> I probably need to reach out to you and go, I am sorry what my face said when I walked into that meeting because it was not anger, but fear that manifested into a very defensive, angry, sometimes too valiant in my effort to um, walk in um, but it certainly wasn't um, the heart that I felt about the, the possibilities and the opportunity to work with amazing people. And you, you say that and that just, that makes, that reminds me of what we tell our kids all the time. Mistakes happen. You acknowledge, you apologize, you move on. I can say for a fact that the team that I've sat with has also sent those exact same messages out of the same reasons you say. We are all human and we're sitting in that room and we've got this kiddo in our hand and we're trying to make things work. And it is scary when people are looking at you and they're saying, help, and you're saying, I'm doing everything I can. And sometimes it's like, yeah, we're doing all we can. It's working. And sometimes we're sitting in that room and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, it's not working. And we're digging in our toolbox. So everybody in that room is going to make mistakes. And give yourself, like you said, some grace. We are human. And if mistakes aren't happening, we're not learning. So the that's more mistakes you make, the better you're going to get. So that's great. <laughs> well, again, you segue beautifully. And I have to say this, you know, this just happened. It's not like we had a scripted <laughs> conversation, but it is the beauty that you and I live in and how we work yeah. together. But if you could put something in an ASD toolbox for parents, be it spiritual, be it, you know, academic, parental, whatever that is, what would it be and why? I think I'd say just focus on what's important. A lot of times there's so many things that can grab your attention and you get caught up in focusing on what's broken, quote unquote, and what's not working. And I would say celebrate the successes. Smile, laugh. And allow time. Time is such a precious gift. And we think we don't control time. And truly, it is the only thing we can control is our time. And kids will learn at all different levels. And if it's not moving fast right now, it'll get there. Just breathe. Because that's the hardest thing is when you, as a family, you're, you're seeing kids progress at different levels and, and that anxiety and that fear starts coming up. We can easily flip that switch and we can start seeing what's wrong and what's not working and how my kid is different. And I would say every kid is made just the way they're supposed to be made. And that if we just take pride and celebrate that and, you know, make sure your kid truly knows that they are exceptional. Little beans and big beans as they grow up. And as long as you do that and you focus on what's working, you can only keep moving in the right direction. You get there. It always has. Absolutely. And again, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being blessed to have you in my life, 
to being someone that looked out for him, for someone that did the peanut butter and jelly dance on Friday with him <laughs> every day uh, or every week. Yeah, <laughs> and Friday in the lobby, it was our jam. It was our jam. <laughs> I finally got to see it one time. I'm like, dang, he gets into that. But no, really, um, I, I do want to reiterate that having people like you at the table committed to what we've just talked about, about each of those kids and, and what they need and, and how do we gap fill and how do we focus on success and celebrate our wins made a huge difference. And I'm sure it made a huge difference for so many people that were blessed to have you in the room. And I'm hoping through this podcast that maybe a little bit of you will go into a lot of rooms. So I thank you so much for your time, um, for your thoughtfulness, and most importantly, um, your heart. So thank you. Well, you're most welcome. Nathan, for those of you who have not met Nathan, he will steal your heart the minute you see him. And Kathy is just, she's a warrior. And just listen to her, guys. She she only comes from a good space, and and she's she's got your back. And I've learned a tremendous amount from being your friend, from being in those meetings, and most importantly, Nathan has made me a better person. So, I won, too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, and God bless. Right at you. It's Toolbox time on ASD Warrior. For this ASD Toolbox, wow, there was a lot of good stuff in what Heidi said. Um, But I think her overarching emphasis was on focus on what's important. Focus on what's important to your child, to their development, their own path, and celebrate those moments. Breathe. And breathe and think and reflect and and be happy with what they've done, right? It's the little things. It's always the little things in everyone's life, the things that you remember, those moments of clarity. Um, where you find opportunities to connect the development that you're looking at for your child. Don't get caught up in what you think it should be, but identify what it is and what it will be and give yourself time and space, support who they are, what they're doing and all the great things that we are blessed to see. They are truly gifts. And so that's the challenge, right? That is the daily challenge to not get caught up in outside influences, standards, where they should be, where our family thinks they need to be. It doesn't matter. It's little things. It's the eye contact for longer or when they finally spoke to you or when they finally figured out how to count to a hundred or when they're doing pre-algebra and they're killing it and you're like, wow, that's good stuff. It's really good stuff. So take the time to see, to identify strengths and successes, focus on what's important and love them like you do and make them feel brilliant and confident and amazing as much as we can. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to ASD Warrior. For more information and resources, please connect with us at asdwarrior.com. Subscribe and become a member of the ASD Warrior Village. Together, we can do more.